Hello, good morning. Thank you for incorporating this into your notes. We today will be spending, this is a big one, we're going to be unifying Italy and creating the country of Austria, Hungary. So hopefully you're following along with the PowerPoint. Let's go ahead and get started. Um, as we've talked multiple times before, Italy was not unified. Um, it was political states, uh, political city-states. You know, each of them had different traditions, different dialects, um, different economies, different, you know, governments. Um, and to be honest with you, there, there really wasn't a lot of trade um, going on between these uh, states. Um, the countryside was mostly farming. Um, now, the culture of Italy, you know, very famous, very romantic around Europe, but literally no unification. On top of that, um, as I alluded to in class, the North and the South are pretty divided. Um, Italians as a whole, they were more loyal to their, you know, I, you know, their, their, their dialects, their regional loyalties, um, not so much national loyalty. Okay. Um, anyway, um, if you remember the name Mazzini, Mazzini, he was the one who was really trying to, you know, push past this regional separation and, and push for the unification of Italy. Um, so two groups in Italy that are really important to conquer this regional separation this group called Young Italy. This group was actually founded by Mazzini, um, really pushed for Italian autonomy. Uh, the middle class supported it, um, wanted education to spread around Italy, particularly the peasants, right? Um, believe that would help with the, uni the unification process. You know, we talked about, how, you know, how does nationalism spread? Well, you have education, you have literacy, you have people, you know, living near each other. Um, the the members of this group, they wore, um, you know, uniforms, they, they wore the Italian national colors. Um, uh, the, another famous group was the Carbonari. Um, uh, Mazzini was also part of this group. Uh, <clears throat> they're more radical and um, they're more in the South. Um, same ideas of Italian autonomy. Um, and again, both of these groups are pushing for Italian unification, an autonomous Italy, you know, with the ideals of the alignment. All right. I want to introduce to you um, a couple of new men that we haven't talked about yet. Um, when you're looking at a map of Italy, and I know this one's already unified, but um, much like the Germans look to Prussia for unification, the... Um, Italian state in the north, which was Sardinia, Piedmont, was kind of like the Prussia. It was the wealthiest, it was the most liberal, um, and the king of uh, Piedmont, Sar Sardinia, is Victor Emmanuel II. And he had a prime minister, prime, sorry, prime minister, and his prime minister was Camillo Cavour. I want you to think of Camillo Cavour kind of like his Autobahn Bismarck. You know, he wanted to, all of Italy to be unified under a monarchy. He emphasized social, economic, um, intellectual issues, um, and, and he, he did, much like Bismarck, he saw that war was necessary for Italian independence, you know, kind of prove, prove themselves. Um, and he, they both believed that Austria was the greatest opponent for Italian uh, unification, um, and that would, I think, make sense, because it was Austria that was typically sending the troops. So Cavour's plan for unification is to completely rid Italy of any sort of Austrian influence and attempt to get help from other countries. Um, one thing I didn't mention, but during the Crimean War, um, the uh, 
Piedmont, Sardinia, they actually send troops to England and France. And remember, they were against the Ottoman Empire and Russia. And the whole point of that, I mean, he was forward thinking, you know, the term real politic, like you need to think big. If I, if I want this to happen, what do I, what exactly do I need to do to make it happen? Okay. I want to introduce another player to you. So we've talked about the North. Now we're going to talk about the South. So Giuseppe Garibaldi, he, um, actually had fled Europe because it was so conservative and he is, he's a liberal and he was actually in, um, he was in Brazil and while he was in Brazil, there was, um, a war called the Ragamuffin War. <laughs> it was a separatist movement in Brazil and, um, he was part of that and his wife, Anita, um, she is a, you know, true romantic and they kind of just were this perfect duo of romanticism and liberalism. And, um, she uh, eventually, you know, once this, this movement of challenging conservatism, you know, starts to rise, Garibaldi and Anita go back to um, Italy. Um, unfortunately, Anita died of malaria in 1849, and Garibaldi wore her red and white scarf um, throughout his life, for the, for the rest of his life, and that becomes extremely um, symbolic um, throughout the unification process. And fun fact for the day, Mussolini, you know, hailed her legacy and actually had a statue of her, um, created. So really it just, you know, she's really is a part of this whole movement. Um, so who are the red shirts? The red shirts are the group in the South led by, um, Garibaldi. Yes, they were red shirts and very liberal. And basically they are, desiring um um unifying italy so in 1848 if you recall we talked about this um, because of all this movement and you know push for unification the austrians um invaded um that that was successful until 1859 remember in that in 1850 we have the crimean war so it's not like it's peaceful okay um 1859 um cavour um, Prime Minister of the North secured an alliance with Napoleon III. Remember, Napoleon III is the leader of France, and um, basically asking, asking like an alliance, but like, hey, we're going to start unifying. Is that cool, right? And of course, like, fine. Um, so, uh, or Napoleon III said fine. So the Northern states held elections to you know unify with the with the North under Emmanuel, and they all voted yes. And so now it's basically up to you know what's going to go on in the south so the north just like germany unifies first and now what's going to happen in the south with garibaldi so in 1860 garibaldi put together an army and marches through you know very again very romantically you know they're in red shirts and they're marching and basically trying to trying to show the southern states like this is a good thing we want this right um, so, uh, in 1861, a national parliament, it convenes and basically unify Italy under, um, King Emmanuel. Um, fun fact for your day in 1861, the United States recognized Italy. Think of what's going on in the United States in 1861, right? The civil war. Now, the only two areas that are not part of Italy at this point is Rome and Venice. Okay. So this is where things gets a little bit complicated. So all of Italy is unified except for Rome and Venice, right? So in 1867, or I'm sorry, in 1866, there's a six, there's the seven weeks war between um, Prussia and Austria, if you remember this. All right, uh, Prussia beats Austria and basically helps kick the Austrian troops out of Venice and Venice then goes to Italy, all right? And then 1870, we have the Franco-Prussian War, which we talked about. Um, 
France is very occupied fighting the Prussians, not paying attention to Rome. Uh, Garibaldi and his red shirts very romantically and symbolically, quote unquote, march into Rome. And basically, um, at this point, by 1871, Risigamento is completed and Italy is unified. Please keep in mind, economically, um, Italy is still divided, right? It's and even today, I told you this, you know, if you, the more south you go in Italy, it's more rural, not as urban, not as industrialized. So how is this, um, you know, impact on foreign policy? Basically, you know, the north and central Italy, they're going to greatly industrialize, um, there will be um, Italian immigration to America um, and uh, recognition of the Confederacy. You know, this again, this is this is all this is going on when America is fighting the, the Civil War. Um, Italy would um, not allow Confederate ships to be admitted into Italian um, ports unless it was a question of adverse weather conditions. So, you know, we did that debate, discussion, whatever you want to call it, just because um, it, it's interesting to think about what, how these European countries would have, could have, would have gotten involved with the um, American Civil War. Okay, so let's wrap this up with Austria. I'm looking at the time. I know this is going kind of long. In 1848, Metternich fled Austria, right? Because he's Mr. Conservative and everything is going kaput. Um, Franz Joseph, who we talked about, is very concerned about nationalism in his reign. And, you know, we talked about the Hungarian Revolt. And 1853, right after the Crimean War, there actually was an assassination attempt on um, Franz Joseph by a Hungarian. Um, he was walking and was struck with a knife um, on his neck from behind. And um, Franz Joseph always, like always, every single day wore a very, very um, formal military uniform. And that, that actually saved his life because the high collar um, pr- protected his neck. Um, <clears throat> 1862... Um, Franz Joseph Maximilian, um, this is kind of random, but basically, um, Mexico owed money to the, uh, French and they stopped making their payments. And so, uh, the French decided to, um, send troops. I think we talked about this briefly, but send troops into, um, Mexico and, um, I, I think I told you this, that, you know, um, Cinco de Mayo is absolutely not um, Mexico's Independence Day. And um, it's literally the only battle, uh, Battle of Pueblo, that, that the Mexicans won. Um, so it's actually kind of embarrassing. Um, but anyway, so Mexico belonged to France for about six years. And Maximilian, uh, Franz Joseph's brother, actually was the emperor of Mexico. And... Um, um, he will be there for six years and then he'll, he'll return to France for the, um, to help. Actually, he gets killed by the Mexicans, but the French, the reason he gets killed by the, the Mexicans is because the French pull other troops out of Mexico because they have to fight the Fr- Prussians in the Franco-Prussian War. I know this is all very, very confusing, but hopefully it's making sense. Um, 1866, as we've talked about, you know, multiple times the seven weeks war with Prussia, Austria loses, right? Um, as a result of losing that in 1867, Franz Joseph um, creates the Ausgleich or compromise, which partly establishes the so- sovereignty of the Hungarians. Um, Franz Joseph, just a little bit about him, he is extremely respected. You know, he basically holds his empire together. Um, under his reign, the Austro-Hungarian Bank is formed. Um, manufacturing, industrialization is 
completely amped up. Um, he invested heavily in railroad infrastructure for his for his empire. Nineteen hundred, you know, the Austrians had one of the best railway networks. You know, very important as we're creeping closer to World War One. Um, he also had, um, you know, a fantastic, you know, military, you know, Austrians, Hungarians, again, you know, he's still the monarch. So Habsburg is still the monarch, but he's giving the Hungarians, he's appeasing them. He also created an imperial and royal army. And, um, um, just so, just so you know, um, the Austrians still had like the best positions. Um, anyway, moving forward. Um, thank you. I know that was long. Um, please let me know if you have any questions and, um, we go to Russia tomorrow. Thank you. Bye.